Well, thank you for tuning in. Those just now joining us at Mount Airy Baptist Church, we are grateful for your participation tonight online. I want to ask everyone a question. Have you ever heard of the bean-boozled jelly beans? Anybody ever heard of bean-boozled jelly beans? This is a real thing. I've checked it out. Bean, Rob knows about it. I asked him today. Nobody here has heard of bean-boozled? You have? have? Have you ever tasted of them? Okay. All right, so, so most, of, most of you don't, don't know what I'm talking about, so let me explain it to you. I found this on Amazon, though I think you can also get them in, perhaps in local stores. It's a special gift box, at least the one I was looking at. It was a special gift box that contains 20 jelly beans and a spinner. Ten of the jelly beans are um, tasty treats, we'll say. And the other ten of the jelly beans look identical, but they're gross flavors. And the thing is, you don't know which one you're getting. Uh, for example, uh, let's say you spin the dial and it lands on the yellow jelly bean. There's two yellow jelly beans. They look identical. Now, one yellow jelly bean may be caramel corn flavor. The other yellow jelly Yellow jelly bean is moldy cheese flavored. And you don't know which one you're getting. Or, another example, because they look identical, you don't know until you take a bite. Another example is uh, strawberry banana smoothie is, is one jelly bean. We'll just call it the red one. Strawberry banana smoothie. But the other red one is dead fish flavored. Uh, there is a buttered popcorn and a rotten egg. My favorite is the jelly bean. One is tutti frutti. And the, the, the identical jelly bean, the other one is stinky socks. I don't know how you know what stinky socks taste like, but, but that's the flavors. They, let me emphasize again, they look exactly alike. Those two, they look exactly alike. And you can't tell what they are until you taste them. This counterfeit candy is, is manufactured to be deliberately deceptive. The counterfeits, if you will, are designed to trick you, to look just like the other, the genuine, to, and to leave, intentionally designed to leave a bad taste in your mouth. As we wrap up our book of First Peter tonight, I want to talk to you about Someone who operates a lot like that. He is deliberately deceptive. And his work in your life will always lead, leave a bad taste in your mouth. And the thing is, you don't always know that it's him. You can't always tell the difference. And so Peter talks about this as we come to our final chapter, the final verses 1 Peter chapter 5, would you open God's Word? If you don't have an outline, they're out in the front, they're up here. Uh, you might want to grab one real quickly. 1 Peter chapter 5, as we finish the book of 1 Peter. By the way, next Wednesday night we will have Bible study. I won't tell you right now what we're doing, though I, I've been working on it. Uh, but we will have Bible study next Wednesday night. But tonight, Lord willing, we're going to finish 1 Peter. Uh, 1 Peter chapter 5, I want to talk to you about someone that Peter talks about that is deliberately deceptive and very, very dangerous. 
If you have your outline, you can see that the title of our final study in this book is A Dreaded But Defeated Foe. Let me give you the context. Again, if you have the outline, you can follow here. The context is very important before we read our, our, our focus text. Last week, we talked about pride and anxiety. And essentially, what we said last week is we talked about the importance of dealing with those two issues. We talked about the importance of dealing with, with pride or what we're calling in the outline there, arrogance. And Peter, just, just to rehearse and remember what we talked about last week, verses 5 and 6, uh, here's what Peter says, verse 5. Young men, in the same way, be submissive to those who are older, and all of you, like all of you, clothe yourselves with what, church? With humility. With humility toward one another because, here's the reason, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. And, and so Peter was saying here that really you need to deal with the arrogance in your own life. You have to be careful that you focus on dealing with the arrogance in your own life. And C.S. Lewis said, uh, uh, he said, humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. The great definition of humility. So, I'm not going to reteach all that. We did that last week. But he said, deal with arrogance. And then, in the next verse, Peter said, you also need to deal with anxiety. Verse 7 is, is an important verse. He said, cast all your anxiety on him because, there's another because, just like we had a because in verses 5 and 6, here's another because. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. The Greek word that is translated here, anxiety or anxieties, comes from the word, and we, we touched on this a little bit, it comes from the Greek word that means to divide. That when you struggle with anxiety, your mind is divided. When, when you have fear and anxiety, it divides and distracts your mind so that you have, fo- you have problems focusing on anything else. Have you ever had a problem like that? A situation like that? And you're so filled with anxiety about that situation, you have a hard time focusing on anything else. Someone stated it this way though. said, Jesus is willing to be fully responsible for the things we are anxious about. I wish I'd found that quote last week, but let me give it to you again. Jesus is willing to be fully responsible for the things we are anxious about. And, and that's what Peter is saying in verse 7. Peter says, cast all your anxiety on Him because He cares for you. Jesus is actually eager to help you with your anxieties. And so just to summarize, again, last week, we're just trying to set the context. Just to summarize what we talked about last week, we must not allow arrogance to settle within us, nor permit anxiety to paralyze us. But there's one, one more thing we have to deal with. And all of these things are, inter, are, are related. And that's why I'm taking a few moments to review them. Verses, verses 5 and 6, he talks about arrogance. Verse 7, he talks about anxiety. In verse 8, he talks about our adversary. Verse 5 and 6, deal with your, deal with your arrogance. Verse 7, deal with your anxiety. But verse 8, deal with your adversary. I think it's significant, very significant, that verse 7, talking about our anxiety, is connected to Verse 8, talking about our adversary. 
you need to link those two verses together and those two things together. It is significant that our anxiety is indeed connected to our adversary. One of the reasons we have anxiety is because we have an adversary. Would you agree with that? We've got anxiety. One of the reasons, one of the reasons we have anxiety is because we have an adversary. We have an enemy, an evil enemy that is stalking us. And Peter is going to make the case, listen to this, he's going to make the case we need to get serious to be spiritually alert and watchful because the enemy is serious about bringing us down. And that's how he begins in verse 8. Look at what he says. Be self-controlled and alert. Uh, Those words are important. It has the idea of staying awake. Being ready. Watching. Because. Because. You never know when you might be attacked. You know, most of the times you're not attacked. You don't see it coming. Right? It's not like, well, well, tomorrow at 4 o'clock, you know, it's going to get bad. No, you don't see it coming. You don't anticipate it. You didn't know. And, And Peter says, that's why you need to stay awake. That's why you need to be ready. That's why you need to watch out. Because you never know when Satan is going to come your way. So verse 8, be self-controlled and alert. Now listen to this. This is theory. This is not necessarily straight from Scripture. But I think it's accurate. It may be, it may be that what Peter had in mind there was the night he had problems staying awake in the Garden of Gethsemane. Gethsemane. Remember that story? It wasn't just him, but remember that story? Jesus went to pray uh, in the Garden of Gethsemane the night he was, he was betrayed and arrested, the night before his crucifixion, and he asked them to stay awake, and he asked them three times to stay awake. And Peter and the other disciples, they just kept falling asleep. It may be that Peter had that in mind because that was the night... The adversary defeated him. That was the night he denied that he even knew Jesus. He didn't stay awake and pray like Jesus had told him to. And that night, the adversary won in his life. So it may be, we can't say for sure, it may be that's what's in the back of his mind when he says, be self-controlled and alert. Doesn't that make sense? Because he knew from personal experience what can happen when you're not. So he said, be self-controlled and alert. Even though Jesus had tried to warn him, Peter was defeated. And so let's read the entire verse. Here's what he says. Be self-controlled and alert. And here's why. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist Him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kinds of sufferings. Peter tells us two ways to face our dreaded but defeated foe. And I want to walk through this text with you. First one, fill in the blank, is this. The first thing Peter says is, always be watchful. Always be watchful. And he uses several different phrases to describe our enemy or our adversary. And in fact, just walk through this verse 8 very slowly. Look at these phrases. Your enemy is one way he describes him. Then he names him the devil. Then he describes him as 
One that prowls around like a roaring lion. And then he uses this strong word looking for someone to devour. Phrase after phrase after phrase after phrase emphasizing the need for all of us to be watchful. And so let's start at the first part of that verse and look at these phrases, at least some of them. First of all, that word enemy. And it's interesting to me that he didn't say the enemy, the church's enemy, God's enemy. At least in the NIV, how does he refer to the devil? Your enemy. Your enemy. Now, I think the King James Version, New American Standard Version, rather than using the word enemy, I think it has the word adversary. Your adversary. But it's still referring to the same thing. It's referring to somebody who is an opponent. Somebody who is against you. Somebody who is your enemy. The name Satan actually comes from the same word as adversary. If you you were to look up those two names or those two words, it's the same Greek word, adversary. He is our enemy. He is our adversary. In other words, watch, watch this. He is devoted to your destruction. Not just your neighbor's destruction. He's devoted to your destruction. Why Peter calls him your enemy. Because he's devoted to your destruction. He goes on to describe him, or give him the name, the devil. Your enemy, the devil. Which means, the, the word or the name devil literally means slanderer. Or false accuser. It comes from the Greek word diabolos. From which we get the English word diabolical. Gives you an idea of what diabolos or the devil is. It is one who, the devil is one who falsely accuses God's people. And in fact, in John 8.44, we won't turn there, but in John 8.44, Jesus said, He is a liar and the father of all lies. So, mark this down. You know this, but you need... You need you need a fresh awareness that you have, an in, you have an enemy and you have an adversary and he or she is not human. Your adversary is not human. And your adversary, your enemy, listen to me church, your enemy, as Peter calls it, your enemy, your adversary is always trying to take you down. I, I just have on my mind, and I'm not going to mention names, I just have on my, my mind this sexual abuse task force report Southern Baptists have put out uh, prior to our annual convention. And you can go online, you can read it if you prefer, 200 and some pages. And 200 and some pages of, of, of just heartbreaking stories. I mean, you don't have a lot of the details. I'm not saying that, but 200 and some pages of heartbreaking stories of how the enemy won. One man in particular, if I were to give you his name, all of you would know him. 
I have more of his books on my library and workbooks than in my library than probably any other pastor in the Southern Baptist Convention. And yet, there was an instant in his life and ministry where the enemy won. Listen, you have an adversary who is always trying to take you down. And he'll go to any lengths necessary to trip you up, to tempt you, to destroy your faith, to discourage you, to stop you, to destroy your testimony, and if possible, to destroy your life. Your enemy, the devil, the slanderer, the false accuser, and in fact, in Revelation 12.10, it says, describing this enemy, describing the devil, Revelation 12.10 says, he accuses the brethren day and night. He never stops. He accuses the brethren day and night. He never gives up. So, so how are we to respond to this? Well, Peter says, always be watchful. Well, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to give you two things here. Fill in the blank. First of all, Respect him because he's dangerous. Respect, put that in the blank. Respect him because he's dangerous. Now, when I say respect, when I use the word respect, I do not mean to honor him. I don't mean respect in in that regard. I'm saying we should simply recognize how dangerous he is. Maybe an illustration will help you here. In my very first church, I've only pastored two churches, as most of you know. In my very first church, Lisa and I were there for 10 years in Lenore, North Carolina. And we had an electrician in our church named Bill Elliott. Now, not the NASCAR driver. Uh, though it was North Carolina, but it was not the NASCAR driver. It was, just, it was just a good old boy, a good man, an electrician, and he did a lot to help our church. He was the Mac Robbins of our church in North Carolina. All right? So, uh, Bill Elliott, an electrician. One day... And I was thinking today about that. I was thinking, you know, I was only 26 years old when I went there. And so sometime we were in a building program. I don't remember exactly when. Late 20s, early 30s, somewhere along in there. We were in a, a building program. And Bill was, was working on an electrical box. He was hooking up an electrical control panel. And the power was still on. And I remember going to him and said, Bill what are you doing? What? He said, I'm hooking up this box. I said, but the power is still on. How can you do that? And here's what he said. He said, you've got to respect it because it can sure get you. That's how you handle it. you just got to respect it because it can sure get you. Now what he was saying, you don't honor it. That's not what he's talking about. He wasn't saying you honor it. He was saying, you recognize how dangerous it is and you act accordingly. Right? Recognize how dangerous that is. So you act accordingly. And that should be our response to the devil. He is dangerous. And if you don't watch out, he will get you. So that's what I mean by respect him. It's just recognize how dangerous he is and act accordingly. And Peter paints a very graphic picture here. He said the devil, look, look at the text. Be self-controlled alert. Your enemy, the devil. What? He paints this graphic picture. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Looking for someone to devour. 
Satan knows our weaknesses. I'm convinced of that. I believe he knows our weaknesses and he seeks to prowl and to pounce when we least expect it. And you and I should never underestimate, never underestimate his power to inflict great harm on our lives. And that's what Peter is painting this word picture that through temptation and through deception and through destruction, the enemy can be like a roaring lion seeking to devour, seeking to destroy, seeking to consume. It's interesting when you look at the word picture, the animals that are used in the Bible to describe Satan. In the book of Genesis, he comes to Adam and Eve as a what? As a snake. And as a snake or as a serpent... Uh, the emphasis there is how he deceives. In the New Testament, he's portrayed not as a snake. In the New Testament, he's portrayed as this roaring lion. And the emphasis there is how he devours or how he destroys. And he's both. He's both. He's the one that can deceive and he's the one that can destroy. And that's why Peter would say, you need to be careful and watchful. You need to take for granted, or don't take for granted, uh, you know, this idea that you can just ignore Him. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your home. He wants to destroy your hope and your walk with God. He wants to destroy your peace and destroy your holiness. He wants to destroy you And if you don't fear Him or respect Him, and that is recognize how dangerous He is, you might take for granted that you can handle Him. So Peter says that's not the way to approach it. Look at verse 8. He says, humble your... I'm I'm sorry, uh, verse 8. Be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So the the first point under be be watchful is simply to... um, Respect Him. Here's the second one. Fill in the blank. The second, first we said respect Him. Number two, resist Him because He is defeated. Respect Him because He is dangerous. Number two, resist Him because He is defeated. And I love, love, love the next verse. Verse 9. He says, after telling us how bad He is in verse 8, after reminding us how powerful He is in verse 8, and how He looks to, to devour and destroy in verse 8, Then he says in verse 9, resist him. Standing firm in the faith. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Resist him because he is defeated. Now the word resist means to stand against. Stand against him. Or you can translate it this way. Oppose him. Now, this command, though, is is met with a very important qualification. You don't resist. Listen to me. If you don't get anything else, make sure you get this. Those watching online, make sure you write this down. You don't resist Him. You don't oppose Him in your own strength. Because I can promise you, if you do, you will be overmatched. If you try to stand up against the devil in your own strength, You will be overmatched. Listen to me, church. That is a battle you can't win. In your own strength. It's a battle you can't win. But, if you stand against the devil, 
in the strength of the Lord, if you stand in your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that's a battle you can't lose. That's why he says resist him. And he doesn't just say resist him. He said, look how he describes it. In verse 9, resist him standing firm in the faith. Because that's a battle you can't lose. Now remember two important things related to your faith. First of all, Satan's goal is to discourage you so that you feel like giving up. That's what he's trying to do, is to discourage you, defeat you, so you feel like giving up. And, And remember this, Satan doesn't fight fair. Would you agree with that? Satan doesn't fight fair. He uses anything and everything that he can to bring us down. But, remember this. You can win if you stand firm in the faith. Yeah, he's going to try his best to discourage and defeat you and destroy you. Yes, He doesn't fight fair. He'll use anything and everything he can to bring you down. Yes, 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 yes. But, when you stand firm in your faith, you can resist him. I've tried to think the best way to say this. And I'm trying to be respectful, but I think it's accurate. I think it's biblical. When it says resist him standing firm in the faith, when it says resist him, I really believe the idea that Peter is teaching us here is that yes, you have an enemy, but he can't defeat you without your permission. What do you mean by that, Pastor? Peter says resist him in the faith, not in your own strength. Resist him in the faith. But if you don't resist Him in the faith, if you give in to Him, then yes, He can defeat you. You're you're in essence kind of giving Him permission to do what He wants to. And that's why He says, resist Him standing firm in the faith. Now, this is so intriguing to me. Listen, 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 listen. This is so intriguing to me. You know, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, it, it tells us again and again and again that we should flee certain things. Uh, For example, I made a list here. The Bible says that we should uh, flee immorality. The Bible says we should flee idolatry. The Bible says that we should flee youthful lust. But we are never one time told to flee the devil. We're told to resist him. In fact, it says in James chapter 4, verses 7 or 8, that if you resist the devil, if you submit your life to God and resist the devil, he will flee from you. Isn't that interesting? Flee useful lust. Flee idolatry. Flee immorality. But it does not say flee the devil. The Bible says stand up against him and oppose him in the name of Jesus. Stand up against him and oppose him in your faith. And when you do that, He is the one who will flee. Let's find that verse. It's James 4. It's around verse 7 or 8. Somebody find that for me. See if I told you right. James chapter 4. I think it's verse 7. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil. And he will flee from you. See, the devil can't win if you don't give him permission. If you oppose him. 
in the name of Jesus, if you stand in your faith, you can resist the devil. Now, the key is, the first part of that verse, the key is, submit yourselves then to God. You do that first. Because that's where the power is. Submit yourselves then to God. That's the first step. Don't try to resist the devil in your own strength. Submit yourselves to God. Then you will have the power to resist the devil. And then he will flee from you. Not because you're so strong, but because your faith is in God. And he has no recourse but to flee. Because now you're trusting in the rock eternal, the God Almighty. Does that make sense? Now, let's go back to 1 Peter chapter 5 where... I'm going to move through the rest of this rather quickly. Um, Peter also says something interesting at the second part of verse 9. He, basically, Satan wants you to think that you're alone. He wants you to think that you're the exception. He wants you to th- think that uh, nobody else is going through what you're going through. And so he says this. Resist him, the devil, standing firm in the faith. Because, I love those because words. Because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of sufferings. Peter kindly reminds these folks, listen, you're not the only one having problems. You're not the only one that's the target of the enemy. He's not just coming after you. He's not just coming after your family. The brothers across the world are experiencing the enemy too. They're going through bad stuff too. The adversary is not just attacking you. The adversary is attacking your brothers throughout the world. They're going through the same kind of sufferings. Peter said, look, this is Shorter's translation. Peter would say, listen, I want to remind you, your brothers and sisters around the world are getting clobbered for their faith too. The enemy is real. So stand firm in your faith and remember, others are going through what you're going through. Others are struggling like you're struggling. Others are feeling attacked like you're feeling attacked. Your brothers and sisters around the world have the same problems. So, always, that's the, the first point, is always be watchful. Second point we're going to go through uh, quicker, uh, always be hopeful. How do, we, how do we face the adversary? Always be watchful was the first one. Number two, always be hopeful. Verse 10. Peter closes this letter on a positive note, and he reminds his readers that God knows what, what he's doing, and that God is in complete control. It's a good reminder for all of us. A a good positive way to end the letter. Let let me just emphasize, Peter is saying, God knows what He's doing. God's in complete control. Always be hopeful. Verse 10. And the God of all grace, who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will Himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To Him be the power forever and ever. Amen. Let me quickly show you some things there on your notes. You can fill in the blanks. First of all, Peter reminds them we can be hopeful because, first of all, we have God's grace. 
Our salvation is because of His grace. He called out to us before we ever called out to Him. And the God of all grace. The God of all grace is at work in your life. Hey friend, don't forget, He is the God of grace. Number two, uh, we can always be hopeful because we know we are going to glory. Can somebody say amen? We are going to glory. Peter says, And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. There's glory now in knowing Christ, but the ultimate glory is to be with Him one day in heaven. Whatever begins with God's grace, somebody said, whatever begins with God's grace will always lead to God's glory. I read that and I thought, man, I wish I could say stuff like that. Whatever begins with God's grace will always end with God's glory. That's good. We can also be hopeful, uh, always be hopeful, because our present suffering and problems are only for a little while. It's just for a little while. Because he goes on to say that very thing. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered how long, church? A little while. Suffered a little while. Now, it may not feel like a little while, but compared to eternity, it's, it's a little while. And then the fourth one, we can always be hopeful because God is building you up or building Christian character. Here's what he says. After you suffered a little while, will Himself restore you? Watch this. Look at these words. Look at these positive words. He will Himself restore you Make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Those are powerful. I I think I could preach a sermon on those four phrases. And the God of all grace who called you to His eternal glory in Christ. After you've suffered a little while, you're going through the hard time now, but after you've suffered a little while, God Himself will... You've got an adversary that's attacking you, but there's coming a day when God Himself will restore you make you strong, make you firm, that is in your faith, and steadfast. And that's why he ends it this way. To him be the power forever and ever. And all God's people said, Amen. That's the first benediction. We're not quite at the end of the book. That's the first benediction. Let me read you just a short paragraph from Chuck Swindoll. Chuck Swindoll said, Though victory is certain, Peter reminds us that suffering and pain will accompany the battle. No one who has endured attack emerges without some measure of pain. The battle will shake us, it will shock us, and often leave ugly scars. But what happens when the dust settles? Peter lists the benefits that God brings into our lives, and he summarizes it this way. He will perfect us, he will confirm us, he will strengthen us, and he will establish us. So, let's read the closing words, beginning in verse 12. With the help of Silas, whom I, and others' translation may say Sylvanus, but the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. In other words, Silas was the one who actually put paper or pen to paper And when they got to the end, Peter picked up the pen. Peter was dictating this letter. Peter was telling him what to write down. 
And when they got to the end of the letter, Peter takes the pen out of Silas's hand and says, now, I'm going to write the closing so they'll know it's from me. So they'll know it's authentic. It's as if we, the way we sign a letter, that's what Peter was doing here. With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. Real, real, real quick. Who is Silas? Can I remind you? Can I, this, is, this is such a powerful story. Paul and Barnabas were going on, I think it was the second missionary journey, and John Mark had already quit on them. And Paul said, let's go on this next journey, this next mission trip. And Barnabas said, hang on, let me go get John Mark. And Paul said, he ain't going. He already quit on us. He's not going with me. I won't take him anywhere. And, and the Bible says there was a, a severe division between Paul and Barnabas. And, and so Barnabas took John Mark because he believed he, he was still a good man and was reclaimable and wanted to redeem that situation. Barnabas, the son of encouragement, took John Mark on a missionary trip. Paul picked up a guy named Silas, took him on the missionary journey. Years later, look at the text. Watch this. See if you see those two names. Peter, writing this with his own hand, says, With the help of Silas, whom I regard as a faithful brother, I have written to you briefly, encouraging you and testifying that this is the true grace of God. Stand fast in it. She who, who is in Babylon, which probably was a code name for Rome, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings, and so does my son who? Mark. John Mark. Silas, mentioned in verse 12. Mark, mentioned in verse 13. Fifteen years or so before this, uh, you know, there was a division. Paul took one, Barnabas took the other. The, the work of God was, was kind of split. The enemy was at work. Now, 15 years later, the Spirit of God was at work. And Silas and Mark are working together with Peter. And Silas wrote this letter we call 1 Peter. Mark wrote something too. Do you have any idea what he wrote? It's called the Gospel of Mark. The enemy was at work, but God wasn't done. So I got, I got goosebumps on my arms thinking about that. All right, so here we go. Paul, uh, she who is in Babylon, verse 13, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. Her there probably is the church, the church at Rome. And so does my son, Mark, his son in the faith. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's a beautiful ending. Peace to all who are in Christ. I am so thankful that I don't just know about Christ. I am in Christ. And because I am in Christ, I don't have to fear the adversary. The adversary is real. And the adversary will attack. But because I am in Christ, I am in His hand. And all God's people said... Amen. Thank you for being here tonight. I appreciate you very much.